Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Even you waking up, you making your bed. Certain people that got out of bed, right? They did not make their bed. It's the little things that then create a momentum and create a snowball effect to what lets you know that, hey, I am worthy and capable of being a winner today, right? I got my kids up. I got them ready for school. I told them I love them. Those are the things that are not standard in the world today. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Casanova Brooks. And Casanova is the founder at Dream Nation Media. And we're talking about a topic today that I believe is really important for sellers, how to live, work, and succeed on your own terms. We explore how you can commit relentlessly to your personal vision of what that freedom to operate on your own terms looks like. Casanova and I also dive into what he calls the bulletproof mindset, a mindset that enables you to be resilient in the face of adversity. We also talk about how to develop the relationships that transform the customer experience and enable you to influence your buyers with true impact. All this and much, much more. Before we get to Casanova, I also want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Casanova, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but where'd you get your name from? So uh, back in the 80s, there was a song by a R&B soul singer and his name was Gerald Levert. And in the song, he says, never knew what love was until you came along. And my mom said she never knew what love was until I came along. Hmm. So that was the way that I got the name Casanova. And that's, do you have kids of your own? I do. I have two. I have a nine-year-old boy and a three-year-old daughter. And I mean, I'll say my own experiences. <laughs> your mom was right on the money. And uh, when my son was born, who you just spoke to, um, yeah, it's like this love at first sight, right? Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And both of my children, they were miracle babies. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, um, so? yeah. So, uh, I'm sure we might get into this a little bit later, but when I was 15 years old, I was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma cancer. So, was two weeks away from uh, death. And I was obviously, uh, well, I guess not obviously, but I was never, ever sick as a child. I never had, you know, broken bones, chicken pox, measles, coronavirus. I was always pretty healthy. And uh, then one day I found myself just walking through the hallways and I 
I couldn't breathe. And so I was telling my buddies and they're like, ah, oh, probably just because, you know, I was very active as a kid. So playing basketball, football, track, and then I couldn't breathe. And they're like, football just got over and basketball's just starting. You're probably just out of shape. And I'm like, oh, you're probably right. And then, so long story short, we wound up, be, I wound up being diagnosed with stage four and I went through chemo over the next two years and bone marrows and basically everything that anyone else does when it comes to the C word. And uh, then when my wife and I, went to try to reproduce, uh, the doctors have said that we had less than a 1% chance. Because uh, of all the treatments you had had. Yep, because of all the treatments. So that wow. was uh, a big trying time for me, but both of my kids came naturally. It took us about two years on both of them. Right. And, and there was many hardships with that and wondering, And but they both came. There was no NICU, fortunately. There was no oh, nice. anything. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, it, they they both have personalities out of this world. I, my son is <laughs> huge into basketball, which we're a huge basketball family. So the fact that he's taken up that love as well has been great. And, and my daughter's three going on 13 and she's definitely the ruler of the family. <laughs> uh, boys and girls are definitely different, but it's it's been a, a pleasure to have them both. And we're very blessed. So being in Omaha, are you a Creighton fan? So we like Creighton. Uh, my wife and I, we definitely like Creighton. Uh, it's not the home school for a lot of people. Like obviously a lot of people, they kind of gear towards football and basket yeah. or, or in Nebraska. Nebraska, but, right? Yeah, but we like Creighton. Yeah, I'm, we're actually diehard Duke fans though. Um, so yeah, Duke Blue Devils, even though this year we're having a very, very <laughs> tough season, but yeah. Yeah, I haven't really followed it too much until... Uh, this year, just for, for, I guess people aren't following sports a lot of times in the same way. But um, yeah, I saw something in the paper that Duke was in danger of missing the tournament, right? Oh, yeah. We definitely aren't going to make the tournament. I oh, guess geez, you, you never say never because they could still win out the win ACC. The tournament, right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, record alone and the people who they've lost to, it's definitely been a very trying year to say the least. Yeah. It's, well, as we all know, crazy on so many fronts. I mean, I... We just had the Super Bowl last weekend before we recorded this, and and that was the first football game I'd watched all year. Mm. And I was just reading an article about like viewership, TV viewership for sports in general is down, and football in particular way down. Uh, you would think, yeah, we all have more time to to watch it, but surprisingly, fewer people are. Yeah. So, uh, tell us about Dream Nation and what you do. Yeah. So the Dream Nation, it was inspired because for me, obviously having a story like I have, sure. uh, many people resonate with my story and just understanding that I'm no stranger to adversity. And so that's what I've Clearly. always, yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot more to that, but definitely no stranger to adversity. So I wanted people to be able to identify with me. And the when people ask me how I've created, what I've created today, I always say that everything started and starts with a dream. And those of us who dare to continue to dream while the rest of the world is settling for what society would tell us is our reality, we're the ones who stand to be trailblazers, change makers. You know, ultimately, we make this world a better place. So that was what Dream Nation was inspired out of. And the way that, that we do that, the mission is I wanted to be able to give access to some of the world's brightest and biggest minds mm -hmm. uh, to the people who necessarily wouldn't have that access. And the way that I do that is through using my platforms, my relationship, my name, my everything that I've been able to uh, build and leverage. And so that's what we built it out. It is a it's it's really a an empire. And the reason why I say that is because there's coaching involved in it. We obviously have the podcasts that are involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, there's sponsorships involved in it. There's a lot of different avenues and aspects to it. So well, I'm just, my whole goal with it was to try to build something that was way bigger than me. 
So one of the things that you you write about that I want to talk about is you talk about, you know, sort of the dream is living life on your own terms in all right. areas. And, and I think that's such an important concept. I mean, it's too often, I think, looked at just as something for you know, entrepreneurs, right? There, we're right. going to start this because I want to work for myself. But so here's one of the, the challenges that I think exists is that how do you do that? How do you achieve this ability to live life on your own terms while working within a corporate setting, right? Because, you know, this is a sales podcast. We have a sales audience. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's a challenge, right? Because there's processes you have to follow. There's methods. You know, everybody's now looking at the metrics, and and people sort of feel like they're always under surveillance, right? Is is how do you break free within those roles and and yeah, succeed on your own terms? Yeah, great question. So I think the first thing is you have to get very clear on what it is your goals are in life. Right. So let's take out whatever job that you work for or if you work for yourself, it doesn't matter. Like, mm-hmm. what are your goals in life? And and if one of those goals is you want to have freedom to be able to live a life by your design is, is what I say, then right. you have to you have to figure out what are the things that you want to do at the end of the day. So. For example, let's say that you say, hey, I want to travel the world for six months. Well, you have to ask yourself, first off, what does that take financially for you to be able to do this, both the the cost of the trip, but then also what does that take for you to be able to leave your job for six months? And then you have to make sure, okay, well, if it's going to cost me $50,000 on the side, what is my expertise? What am I good at? Because right now, if you're working in a job right now, that means that you have an expertise because you're getting paid to do something. Mm -hmm. Now that might be customer service. That might be, you're looking at the data that might be whatever it might be. What do you, what is your expertise? So then you write that down and then on on the side, right? When you're not working, what you have to figure out is how much time do I have to allocate towards what could be considered as a hobby, but more so I'm trying to build it into a side hustle, right? So that's Mm -hmm. what I would say. And as you build this out into a side hustle, you you almost are looked at as a consultant because yes, you're working for this company and I'm not saying to quit your job or even give lackluster performance. But what I am saying is you have to work harder on yourself than you do on your job, right? right. So what does that mean? That means that you have to be figuring out one, where are the rooms that I can be in for other people that need my service, but they can't afford to pay me at a full-time rate. Because the job that you're working at right now, you might be making 40000 60000 80000 If you're really good in sales, you might even be making upwards of 350000 which makes obviously it very tough to leave depending on where you are. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, how much do I need to be able to go full time as a consultant? And then you break those down by the numbers. So I've always been, even though I have a lot of energy, I've always been a numbers guy. And I think that's what attributed to my success in real estate is I would always start with the end in mind. All right. I was looking at what was the after repair value. So for you, if you're just in a sales job, you're always thinking with the end in mind, I need to be able to make $150,000. Okay. Well, that's, that's doable. So then we're going to look at breaking that down into 12 months. How much money do I need to make every single month? Okay, well, if that means that I need to make, you know, $10,000 or $11,000 every single month, whatever that might be, I need to make $11,000 a month or, you know, and then so we're going from there and we're breaking it down even further and we're saying how much is the average client willing to pay for this? Now, if you don't really know what they're willing to pay, you have to ask yourself, what is it worth to them? 
And so these are all questions that you can have with somebody on the side, outside of your job. What is this worth to you? Like, what's the average of a lifetime customer for you? But let me ask, but let me rephrase the question because we, I agree on that, that path, but it sort of went down a different path than I, that I was starting off with, which is within the job, right? Uh-huh. I think people are frustrated. I not think, I know they're frustrated within the job because again, they're feeling, you know, more under constant, or like I said, surveillance, you know, the KPIs and the metrics they have to meet and the activities they have to do. And, and they think they have this vision of, wow, I could, I could do this job differently. Uh, but I just don't have the freedom to do it, right? And and so they're not feeling like they're able to succeed on their own terms within that role. And I, and I think this is a question I was interested in your perspective on is, how do you do that? You know, not just by saying, look, I'm going to define some other part of me that will make, you know, become fulfilled and I'm going to keep doing my job. But, you know, in this main path is, how do I, how do I define myself? How do I work with my manager? How do I I said, create some sort of autonomy to help me succeed in a way that's aligned with who I am. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, sorry, going down the other path. I, no, I definitely that's fine. That's, that was good, but this is the sort of key point I was trying to get across. Yeah, no, all good. So I think that it really comes down to understanding what is the mission, the value, the vision of the company, and what is also your mission, value, vision. Because for me, I guess if I was trying to figure out how do I gain more autonomy, I have to figure out how do I make it a win-win scenario for my boss or my uh, CEO, whoever it is. So for me, I'm trying to figure out what is our end vision, what is our end purpose. And then for me, I'm going to try to do something- and yourself. Right, right. But so they have to align. First off, they have to align and hopefully they do. That's the whole reason why you're working there and they've kept you. But then we have to figure out where is the gaps that we currently have? Because a boss does want you to be able to work autonomously, but they have to feel like that you're somebody who can deliver results if they're not watching. So for me, once I know what's the vision, once we've had these sales meetings and they tell us, okay, we need to create X amount of dollar in revenue. So Mm -hmm. for me, I'm going to find creative ways to try to do that. And then even before we put it into place, I'm going to bring it up to my manager if we have that type of a relationship. Right. And I'm going to articulate, here's the solution to the problem that we already have because we've already identified for weeks on end that we have gaps, mm-hmm. we have problems. So here's the solution of what I've already come up with. Here's how I think that we can articulate it. Now, here's the best part. I've already put it in my mind, the steps, and I've already wrote this down on paper. So I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to give me 30 days to see if I can change this around for us. So now you've already came up with the solution. You've already Mm -hmm. came up with the steps. And now they're like, wow, like I can turn my back and Casanova has it. And so that's what I would say. That's how I would do it. But yes, it all starts in the beginning with making sure that my vision and the company's vision is aligned. Yeah, because I think, and I think that's great, a great recommendation. Um, yeah, is writing that down, then having that conversation, identifying the gaps, as you said, because you know, there's such, and especially in the business to business sales world, there's there's such rapid turnover. Yeah, anywhere from just was reading research yesterday, you know, anywhere from twenty to thirty percent of B two B sellers, you know, leave their jobs every year, which means for a typical company, uh, yeah, they could be creating a whole new sales team every three years. And so you think it takes oftentimes about a year for them to reach, uh, I won't call it full productivity, but 
you know, the desired level of productivity, it doesn't leave somebody much time. And I, and I think the reason people are changing oftentimes is, and certainly data from Gallup and other organizations sort of substantiate that, is they don't feel like they're being given these, these growth opportunities by their manager. And, and I think that you know, this idea, which I was one of the reasons I attracted what you were talking about, is, is that yeah, I think people would prefer not to leave <laughs> if a company, if they could find a way to decide, sort of feel like they're, they're yeah, doing what they want to do without sort of selling out, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And I would agree with that 100% because when you look at it, most human beings, we don't like change, right? So to leave a company and start all over, learn their mission, learn their value, learn their sales processes and everything else, when we thought we already had it made at this company, right. we don't want to change, right? But what we do want to feel like is that one, we're being heard and two, we're being included because we all have these visions. We all have ideas. And so the more ideas that I put on the table and the more that you smack them off the table without really really listening to me as a boss, that's the quickest way for me to leave and to right. feel like that I'm I'm not a part of the family. And so for me, my challenge is to make sure that I articulate it in the right way, but then also a boss, their challenge is to make sure that I'm heard, even if we're not going to implement it right away, but to say, I hear you, I receive what you're saying. Let's look at ways that we can implement this because I think that that's very valuable insight of what you just gave. Yeah. Well, I think Right. I think people wanting to feel heard and understood, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that things always change and go their way, is is hugely valuable. And yeah, too often it's just sort of concerns are written off. Um, so your process, I mean, I like is because then you document it and you review those with your boss, and then everything's on the table. Right. Absolutely. And and I think that a lot of the times if we show initiative, if we show leadership that we can already create solutions without being told what to do because we're constantly looking for the gaps. That's the quickest way for us to feel fulfilled, mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, because we're like, we can do it. A lot of the times it's the only, it's, it's the talk in our head before we even get to that point. And so if we have that inside of us, then when we come and talk to our boss, we're so much more energized. And then obviously sales is all about energy. How can you convey the energy? If you convey negative energy, obviously you probably won't get the sale or even worse, you'll get a bad review. But if you convey positive energy, people are like, I don't, I don't even know what he said, but it sounds like that there's a lot of growth in that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, but to a point you were just bringing sort of aligned with the point you just bring up is, so how do you have that? How do you help people develop that confidence in the value they have to offer? Because I think this is this is the thing that holds people back. You know, and you think about the sort of the context of people saying, "Well, I'm going out to interview for a job, and what I want is to get something the employer has." And that perspective is very different than saying, "Yeah, I want to go find out if this employer is a suitable place to receive the value I have to give." Yeah, and and so. Just interest how when you work with your clients on so how do you help them develop the confidence in this value they have to offer? Yeah. So the first thing is the to affirm I'm a huge fan of affirmations and and the two most powerful words that I always say is am and will. Right. I am a huge fan of affirmations. Right. Mm -hmm. I will do whatever. And so first it's in the mind. It's about feeling like that you are worthy. How do you and so how you do that is you start to look at small wins that you've had. 
right? right? And so every day we have small wins. Right. And so even you waking up, you making your bed, so there's certain people that got out of bed, right? <laughs> that they did not make their bed. It's it's the little things that then create a momentum and create a snowball effect to what lets you know that, hey, I am worthy and capable of being a winner today, right? I got my kids up. I got them ready for school. I told them I love them. Those are the things that are not standard in the world today. So you're already winning in that. The second thing is understanding that adversity builds character. A lot of the times we don't want to go through any type of adversity, right? So we don't. So initially we can't say that, oh, we, we, we're, we're afraid of rejection. But if you think about it, I always, this is something that I say to people all the time. I say, do you, you understand that pressure busts pipes, right? And they say, oh yeah, but also pressure creates diamonds, mm -hmm. right? Pressure. And so you have to ask yourself when you're going through adversity, you have to ask yourself, am I a busted pipe or am I a beautiful diamond? For a lot of people, they're going to say, I'm a beautiful diamond. And as you should. But if you ask yourself, if you say to yourself, I'm a busted pipe, then first off, we need to go back to step one, which I am. I am worthy enough for whatever yeah. said result is. So that's the second thing that I would say. And then the last thing that I would say is, in the beginning, the thing that we struggle with is starting. We struggle to start. We struggle to start cold calling. We struggle to reach out. Everything is a start. Once we get it going, it's mm -hmm. easy. And so for me, the way that I like to think of it, even when I'm going through a trying time, I say execution removes all doubt, right? In the beginning, they'll ask you why you're doing it, whatever it is, right. your boss, everybody. But in the end, they'll ask you how you did it. And so when I say that, just like that, for me, my clients have been very receptive of it and just understanding that everything started with one step. Amazon of where it is today, mm. it, it started out with one book at some point or at least with one client. Maybe that one client gave them 5,000 books, but they started out with one client. So understand everything starts with one step. So you might say, I'm, I don't feel like I'm worthy right now, but what's the one step that you can take? Just at least asking for the, the meeting, for the conversation with your boss, asking to present, that's step one. If mm -hmm. they say no, that's okay. You just got to figure out a different way to present it, right? I think it was Henry Ford. He said that failure is, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but he said failure is only starting over more intelligently. I think I, I think that was what he, I, I'm butchering it a little bit, but that is the content. Yeah, and that aligns with, uh, I just posted last week a quote from Nelson Mandela, which is, he says, I never lose, I win and I learn. And I learn, right? And it's the same thing. So you yeah. always have to be thinking, even if it doesn't go my way in this conversation, in this ask, right? And, and this is something that I was in. I was on an app called Clubhouse. And yeah. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah, I was on Clubhouse. No, I just, somebody just invited me to join. So I haven't delved yeah. into it yet. Yeah, amazing app. But um, I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. But they, um, it was uh, Brendan Burchard was in there. Mm -hmm. And one other person. Oh, it was Tom Bilyeu. It was Tom Bilyeu. He's got impact theory, is okay. his, uh, if you've yeah, ever yeah, heard yeah. of it. But right. he's right there with Brenda Bruchard and all. And they're all um, talking. And he said, if you think about it, us as humans, we always like incorporate or everything as failure. He said, but when you think about AI and robots, which we're all starting to see now, like all that is is sample data. It's a sample size. Even if something doesn't go right, that was sample data. So it's about the way that you say it in your mind, because as humans, we'd say, oh, we failed. And it, but if that robot didn't do something right, it wasn't a failure. It was that sample data and we got to well, tweak it and then we got to fix it. 
Yeah, if it's machine learning based, then yeah, it's it's learning from that experience, right? And becoming right. smarter as a result. Yeah, which we we need to get better at. I agree. As humans across the board, is is it's sort of this commitment to to learn in the face of of adversity, as you talked about it. Percent. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite sayings is is uh, along the lines of what you had said is, but it's you know my parents gave it to me or something, but it was yeah, adversity reveals character, mm. and. Yeah, I've always had sort of that image, right? It's, you know, when if adversity opens your curtains uh, on the world, what does the world see? Right. And yeah, I mean, and you talk about this, you talk about this bulletproof mindset. Uh, and I imagine that something you start developing when you going through your whole experience, your medical experience with the cancer and so on. So, so people talk about things being bulletproof and so on, but what does this mean for you? Yeah. So for me, everything about having a bulletproof mindset really comes down to being relentless and also just being, I guess the best way to, that I would say it is, is understanding that in the end of the day, joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. Right. And so for me, I mean, again, going back to when I was eight years old, my two best friends who I did everything with, uh, they came over one morning and they said, hey, we're about to go to the beach, which is normal routine for us. And mm -hmm. I say, for whatever reason, I'm going to sit this one out. Right. And not, not for whatever reason, but I say, right. I'm going to sit this one out. And then they say, OK, well, come to find out a couple hours later, they both wound up drowning off the pier Lake Michigan that day. So why I wasn't right there with them as normal I don't know. I always just say that God or, or my creator, someone had a bigger purpose for my life. Even just fast forward to six years ago, I wound up going through a crazy three-week period where I lost my mom, my job, and my home all within a matter of three weeks. Wow. Uh, no family, no friends, no church group. I'm in a brand new city, brand new mm. state. What am I going to do, right? And so for me, I've always experienced some type of adversity. But again, I've understood that, you know, you have to take the highs with the lows. And so that's been always a big thing. And when people have asked me, well, how have I developed this bulletproof mindset? I think that there's three key components to what I've been able to do. Number one is I've always just focused on my energy right? I can't control the result. I can't control the outcome. Tom Brady couldn't control the outcome of, of that Super Bowl, but what he could control is his effort and yep. his energy. Yep. So that's what I've always tried to focus on. Every single conversation that I get into, what's my energy like? Do I leave you feeling inspired and impacted or do I leave you feeling, you know, pessimistic and down and you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to have another conversation with that guy. Mm -hmm. Brings my energy down. The second thing is my environment. And, and before I go on, I mean, that's a choice. That's an easy choice to make. I mean, this, these are types of things in sales, as I keep telling people, is that it costs you nothing to do this. Right. A hundred percent. And and that's what I choose every single day. It's through right. my habits. It's through my mindset every single day that I choose to go into every conversation. And you're going to see me smile. You're going to see me have high energy. You're going to see me say, hey, what's up, superstar? It doesn't matter because I just want people to feel that at the end of the day, I was somebody who I brought positivity to an environment where there's so much negativity around us rather than me being that pessimistic person saying, oh, that won't work. I'm not the why guy. I'm more of the why not guy. And so- yeah, but I think by the same token, though, I mean, when you think about this in a specific, you know, sales example is, is you know, right now there's been this emphasis in the last year or two as you train sellers to say, hey, you know, the customer doesn't have time for small talk before you get into the, the meat of the things. And it's like, of course they do, right? right? This is how they see your energy. This is how they see this this aspect of you that you're talking about, this positivity you know, if you just jump right into it, you're this dour business only. And that's not, quite frankly, it's not very, 
interesting to people. Yeah, there's no connection there. Right. We as human beings, we all want connection. So for me, being, I think everyone's in sales in some component. But if you think yes. about it, yeah, we're all in affiliate marketing. We're all in some type of sales because every single all, day. We all influence other people, yes. Exactly. And so you have to figure out what is the connection that you have with that person because we don't buy products or services. We buy people. We buy yep. why they do what they do. So if I go into your office and I'm looking and I see you have a Chiefs uh, logo on there, I'm saying, hey, I want to ask you, are you going to be watching the Super Bowl? Where are you watching the Super Bowl? What do you think of Pat Mahomes? Do you think they can <laughs> overcome? It just it, That's what I'm going to do because I need to gain some type of connection because we know at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C. People do business with people who they know, like, and trust. Right. And so they have to be able to like you and trust you. But the only way they can do that is by getting to know you at some level. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, you know, there is certainly in the B2B sales world, there's certain people that, you know, sort of taken upon themselves to say, well, yeah, no, nah, these, these connections aren't important. Right. All you got to do is you just only have to solve the problem for the buyer. And the buyer, they don't have to like you, they don't have to trust you, just solve the problem. And I'm like, huh, yeah, that's not the world that I live in. That's not no. the world that people that I deal with is, yeah, they want to trust you. And before they trust you, they have to, yeah, I think like is is a word that some people, they put too many connotations on, right? I mean, I, to me, I think sort of the ideal relationship you want to have with a, a prospect or a customer. I said, you want the, I believe, you want them to be positively neutral about you. Right. Yeah. You want them to think sure. positive about you, but yeah, you know, you're not their friend. It's just you want them to be feel positive about the, their interactions they have with you and so on. So is that like, yeah. But and then yeah, they want to feel like there's some connection that, you know, some shared experience or something that that you know forms the foundation for the relationship. Yeah. And I think, I guess what I would say is I do think that again, the like factor is very strong. And the reason why I say that is because yes, people will do business with you one time and depending on what you're selling, if it's big enough, but then you're always chasing a transaction, right? Yeah. The, the way that people continuously do business with you is because they like you, right? That's the way that they'll continue to refer you all these things. So yes, I think that like factor, you could do one deal, but we go to Amazon all the time because we like the fact that Amazon, we know they're going to give us the returns. We also yeah. know that they're going to um, give us the two-day shipping, one-day shipping. We know we like Amazon. That's why we get all excited about it. I got, I got an Amazon package coming, <laughs> right? And everything else, I think there's many other things. Our yeah. cars, we, we, and we like these people because we want to feel, at the end of the day at our core, no matter if you're B2B, B2C, your executive, whatever, the most important thing for 90% of us, I can't make a super blanket statement, but it's, it's our family. It's our friends. Why would we do what we do? Yeah. When you ask them, it gets past business, right? right? Why are we doing this? Why are we going so hard? Because we want it for our families. We want to take trips. We want to give them experiences, right? Well, it's people on the other side of that. So yep. if you're treating that other person like they're your family, or if you come off as saying, hey, I want to become family down the line, that is my goal. My goal is to do business with you. Make no mistake about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I need you to know that I am somebody that you can one, trust, but two, you'll grow to like me because you know where my integrity and my heart and my energy always is. Right. That's how they'll continue to do business with you. Agree hundred percent. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I posted a week or so ago on LinkedIn, a, this, this sort of short post about 
sort of in quotes from a buyer you know, saying, you know, John's an ass, but yeah, we bought from him anyway. And it's like, yeah, that that's may happen occasionally. There are, there are people who are jerks that, that you know, get business. We've seen plenty of examples of those publicly recently. Um, but yeah. And yeah, if you have a problem, if you have a product that solves a big enough problem, then absolutely, right? If, especially if there's not a lot of competition and right. you're in sub, such a niche market that you could solve that problem. And it depends if, if the problem is in dire need and they don't have the time to continue to look around and find someone else, then yeah, they're going to go with it. But over the long term, will your business scale and sustain if you're not likable? I find that very hard to believe. There's not very many businesses <laughs> that do because someone, especially well, in the world that we live in today, they'll call you out on that. And sure. you'll go, yeah, they're, they're, they'll go to Instagram live and talk about, you know, the experience that they had with you or Facebook live. And now in your local community, you're in trouble. Right. And it's not just your business uh, to, you know, sort of extrapolate your point, which is if you assume you as a B2B seller, your patch, whatever that is, your list of accounts, your geographic territory, whatever, that is your business, right? Mm-hmm. right. I mean, this is how I was brought up in sales. It's less common you see these days, but you know, hey, you're CEO of that business. And yeah, if you sour the reputation, you're not, you know, you're selling within a vertical market to end companies in the same industry. Word gets around. Yeah. It, yeah. it comes back and haunts you. And I think the same thing can be said, right? Being an entrepreneur inside of your company. Yes. That same thing. Don't just Absolutely. look at it from a customer standpoint. Look at it from what's your likability, your, your trustability factor. Right. Yep. Exactly. How does the, how does your, your colleagues feel about you? How does the customer service feel about you? So like all of those things every single day, again, it's your energy, which is first off that I try to transfer. And then number two, that, that goes into your environment. Right. Yeah. You, well, you, I think to your point is is if you had read the book "To Sell as Human" by Dan Pink, is yeah, I think that if I remember the statistic right, it was like I don't know, three quarters of white collar workers in the United States say that influencing others, they need to influence others in order to get their job done. Hmm. Right? And that's one hundred percent right. And to your point, then is is. Yeah, those are your customers, and if you're ineffective, if you come across as uh, unlikable, untrustworthy, and so on, even if you can help these people solve a problem, yeah, they they may not be interested in that. Right. I would agree. Very, very much. Yeah, I know this is a fascinating topic because I think that, that yeah, my, my belief is that the importance of the human being in sales is only increasing as we become more automated, not becoming less important. And there's a reliance, uh, excuse me, a tendency for people to want to rely on or at least think that they can rely on technology to sort of substitute for the human. And, and I think when you have more technology in a space, let's say sales and in an interaction with the buyer, the differentiation really it becomes the human. And so the things that you talk about, the mindset, the energy, the positivity, the, the likability, trustworthiness, and so on, really become, in my belief, are becoming the need for those are becoming amplified, not lessened, and people really need to pay attention to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's what I've always tried to pride myself on because, just like you said, it's becoming more and more automated. But I know that that robot or that system it can't bring the energy. 
right? And so for me, I mm-hmm. everything goes back to my spirit, my energy, my everything, because here's what's going to happen at the end of the day. No matter how automated that we become, we are, at least in the U.S. here, we love to point fingers, right? We love to blame someone. And the reality of it is, is that robot can never, uh, I guess, reconcile, <laughs> right? They can never re- reconcile when that, you know, when that person calls up and they're freaking out, right? Yep. They, and and maybe in, in another 20 to 30 years, they'll, they'll be able to really communicate like that. But as of right now, if you're talking about how do you have impact and results and influence right now, you have to be able to listen and you have to be able to give natural feedback. Right. Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. I receive that. And here's how I'm going to make it better. Robots can't do that right now. Your email marketing can't do that right now. You still need someone on the backside that can read the whole comment, say, hey, let's hop on a phone call. I want to solve this problem for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that one of the things that people miss, at least I believe, is, is when they have this conversation about you know, the impact of technology and so on and the role of the human going forward is is that fundamentally decision-making within a company or even buying a car or whatever on a personal level, it ultimately boils down to risk, right? And people are assessing the risk of making a decision. This risk becomes more acute perhaps in a business sense, uh, perhaps, you know, more personally jobs at stake or whatever. And when that happens, and there's been tests on this already done with medical decision-making, is People, when there's risk, they want to get validated by a human. And if you're the human that they trust, then that puts you in the catbird seat. That gives you the advantage going forward. The thing with medical decision-making, they've run tests worth, when talking about people having, making a choice about a, uh, some sort of treatment and something that's, I wouldn't say life-threatening, but you know, serious like surgery or whatever, is, yeah, they have program this this app that will give you the best data and the best choices, the best options to choose from, but better than a human, perhaps. But when given the choice, the patients always want to talk to the doctor. A human, yeah. right? I would definitely. And yeah, we all... We all do it at the end of the day because just like you said, with the risk, I mean, I, I can only think back to, to real estate as many things in sales and everything that's been automated on the real estate side, that's still a really big risk. And mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, they, they there still needs to be a human on the other side before I can purchase this $250,000 home. I can't just purchase it like I'm buying an Amazon product. <laughs> Just, just you wait. That's coming. That's coming. <laughs> I believe it, but I think it is. It's, it's pretty far out. Just like yeah. you said, they still want that human interaction. Yeah. They need somebody that can validate for them that this is the right decision. Yeah. All right. Well, Casanova, thank you very much for joining me. So, if people want to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, how can they do that? Yeah, they can find me at casanovabrooks.com. Um, there, or you can find me at dreamnation.com. I think both of those I, I hang out. That's where all the cool kids I've learned hang out. All right. Well, very cool. Well, Casanova, thank you so much for joining me and I uh, look forward to doing this again. Thank you. Pleasure. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen as always ever so grateful for your support of this podcast. And I want to thank my guest Casanova Brooks for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. 
You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.